thank you for I know worship sometimes requires vulnerability it requires us to step outside of what maybe feels comfortable but there's something so enlightening that when we step out of it he meets us and although we might feel like we have nothing to give your, your worship is, is something it's something that no one can take away from you your praise is a weapon it's, it's something that the world can't silence the government can't take your employer can't take your spouse it's yours it's a testimony of the goodness and the mercy and the power of God he's worthy of it all man man thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Luke 15 verse number 11 familiar passage of scripture it says then he said he being Jesus certain man had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided to them his livelihood and not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possession with prodigal living but when he had spent all their rose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine understand they're talking to Jews here and so this might seem off he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods and the swine ate no one gave him anything verse 17 a, a key verse but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The last three weeks, you've been, you've been fed very well. I haven't preached in a couple weeks, and this church is very blessed. Dr. Littles, Bishop, Pastor Eric, I'm thankful for great men of God that can stand behind this pulpit, and, and you know that what they're preaching is just an overflow of what they're walking in daily, and I'm thankful for that. And as I've been away on vacation and in prayer, felt burdened by what I saw, um, some things I saw on social media some things I heard, and in my prayer time, I felt God speak to me. And so for the next three weeks, I want to I wanna speak on the church. And uh, I've chosen this title, Perfectly Imperfect. And uh, each week, I want to speak from a perspective of a person in this story. And so today, I want to speak from the perspective of the younger son and speak specifically to the need for connection, connection. And so if you would just set your Bibles down with me, would you lift your hands? And um, I don't want to rush what God wants to do in this place, but could you just ask him that what he's already done, that he would just continue doing as we move through this place. Could you lift your voice with me? Jesus, I love you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for freedom and the liberty we have to gather together. Thank you that at 
Lord God, in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. Thank you for being patient with us, for loving us, for being merciful. Pray that you would just touch this word, open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord? And it may feel uncomfortable, but look at your neighbor and say, I want you to know I love you. And you may be seated. I'm going to say something right now that I think will resonate in all of your minds. And you, you may be seated. I love the church. I, I love everything about the church. I, I love the worship that I feel. doesn't matter what church I go to. I, I, I love worshiping with God's people. I've been privileged to worship in El Salvador and Antigua and in Africa. I've been uh, privileged to worship across the USA and, and anywhere I go when I come into uh, a church with people of like precious faith. I love what I feel. I love worship. I, I love gathering together on Wednesdays and Sundays. I love connect group. I, I love, I, I don't want it just to be a saying that we do life better together. I like doing life with all of you. I love the church. I love the mission of the church. I love the values of the church. I love the fact that I'm part of something bigger than myself. I understand something. I've, I've grown up in the church. My earliest memories as a child are, are sleeping under the pews. In those days, revival services would go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I remember uh, the, the, the atmosphere in those revival services. I, I remember mom and dad getting outside of the pew and dancing and twirling in the presence of God. Early memories etched into my mind. I remember crawling under the pews and finding money that fell out of someone's purse. And I took it. I went down to the candy machine and invested in my health. I remember uh, once, one Sunday night in particular, we sat on the second pew, and uh, this was before iPads. The original iPad was a, a Stano notepad, right? A white pad of paper and a pen. And my parents gave that to me to keep me quiet. And I remember I was building a, 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 probably a pirate ship. That was one of my favorite things to build. And I was pressing too hard, and the ink pen broke and just began to pour out ink on the beautiful pews that were there when... Uh, Jesus was around, I believe. <laughs> My earliest memories in the church. I remember falling asleep, being woken up, thinking the rapture happened because see, I started off being full and when I woke up there was hardly anyone in there. My closest friendships were initiated and developed in the church. I met my wife at a church event. thought she was an angel passing me on a bicycle. <laughs> then I found out her name was Angela. Angela. Mm. I love the church. It, it's my life. It's all I've known. I have no plan B. I have no backup plan. My life is deeply invested and involved in the church. Living for God all my life, I've come to understand something. That the church is perfectly imperfect. I may not make much sense. Or it may raise some alarm in your mind, but let me explain. The church is perfect 
Because Christ is the head. Paul said God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. We say this often, but we can't say it often enough. This is his church. I'm thankful for pastors. I'm I'm thankful for bishop. I'm thankful for a district superintendent and a general superintendent that leads our organization. But let there be no confusion. He is the head of the church. Christ is the head. This is his church. Acts 20 says he purchased it with his own precious blood. And 1 Peter 5 said he is the chief shepherd. So I might be an under-shepherd, but this is still his church. And because it's his church... It's perfect. It's also a victorious church. Jesus would say to Peter after Peter got the revelation of who he was, he said, and you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And then he said this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, long before the establishment of the church, long before Jesus purchased the church with his precious blood, long before 120 would gather in an upper room and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, long before that outpouring of the Spirit would be sent to the uttermost parts of the earth, Jesus looked into the future and said, listen, it doesn't matter wars that come, it doesn't matter the threats that come upon the church, it is going to be a victorious church, so much so that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Realize today, God is not caught by surprise with what's taking place in Israel. God doesn't take vacations. There are not things that happen where he's caught off guard. Everything that takes place, he never loses control, and the church continues to be victorious through it. It's a victorious church. It's also a destined church. There's one day we just sang about it. I'm sorry, I got a little excited because... The songs hit the same way they did when we sang the old hymns when I was a kid. I I can't wait for that day when when, when the sky is going to split and and the trump of God is going to sound. And Scripture says the dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is destined, brothers and sisters. It's predestined that when Christ rose, he said, listen, I'm coming back for my church. I'm coming back for a bride without blemish, without spot, and without wrinkle. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying I know some would believe Calvin's theory of predestination. That's not what I'm preaching at today. I'm saying the church, if we look at it as a ship, it's predestined for heaven. But whether we get on that ship or not is up to us. That's what predestined means. That that means that there is a day coming where he's coming back for his church. And whether or not you and I decide to be attached to that church or not is completely and entirely up to us. It's a destined church. It's perfect because it's Christ's. However, it's imperfect because what makes up the church is imperfect people. You, I, we're flawed. We're we're flesh-filled. One elder used to say, we're just all fellow strugglers. And that's the truth. Not not one of us are perfect. Not, Not one of us have it all together. We, we all fall short, as Paul would say to the Roman church, we all fall short 
of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. And because of this, within the church, there are people filled with hypocrisy, drama, division. People who say one thing on Sunday and live a completely different way on Monday. People who maybe have good intentions but misrepresent Christ in their actions. People who create discord and disagree with their brothers or sisters. People who daily fall short in their attitudes and actions. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And as a result of that, and I think in our heart of hearts, we want to live the right way, but there are times we make mistakes. There, there are times in my flesh I say something that afterwards my spirit says, you shouldn't have said that. There are times when a moment of frustration where, where, I, where, where I allow the flesh to come out, the, the flesh that I crucified in the morning, it, it gets off the altar and says, uh, you sit back, I'm taking it from here. And as a result of that, I misrepresent the church. I wish it weren't so, but it happened within the early church and it's present within the present church today. It's filled with imperfect people. And, and sadly, that, that means if we take this, this thought process a step further that there is imperfect leaders, men and women who maybe at times fall prey to legalism, leaders who are controlling, leaders that sadly abuse their power. Maybe their emotional scars and insecurities have leaked into their leadership. Maybe they've been tainted by ministry and have become cynical in their approach to people. And sadly... As a result of this, there are some that bear the wounds and scars that came from the church. Some that bear hurts that came from a leader they trusted in. Someone they did life with and they entrusted with some information and that information and trust was betrayed. Some that have been mistreated and disappointed by a fellow brother or sister. As a result, we bear the wounds that were inflicted in the church. David, he knew all about this. He penned in Psalms chapter 55. He said, it's not an enemy who taunts me. I could, I could bear that. It's not my foes who are so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed and we walked together to the house of God. David said, it, it, it wasn't my enemy. It, it wasn't someone that hated me that hurt me. Because if that happened, it wouldn't have surprised me. It, it wasn't the Philistines. Yeah, they've been after me, but, but I expect that from them. I would be ready for it if I go to work and my coworker rises up and says something and hurts I can step back and say, she, she, she doesn't have Jesus. But he said, it, it was you. It came from my friend. It came from my brother that I did life with. It came from a sister that I opened up to at a coffee shop. We, we used to enjoy fellowship together. We used to sit next to each other at church. We, we came down and stained the carpet with our tears, and we prayed one for another. Sadly, there are many today that are missing in action in churches across America. And this psalm is the song they sing. 
They have a hard time saying you're worthy of it all because hurt is the glasses they wear and it's how they view everything. Nothing good can come from the church because they see the church as the place of hurt, the place where issues arose. They were hurt by a friend, by a fellow Christian, by a leader. As a result, there are many that have disconnected themselves from the church. They have allowed the fracture to create distance between them and the house of God. They have removed themselves and no longer believe. They have wounds that have not healed, words that they've not forgiven, disappointments and unmet expectations that cause distance, which eventually led to disconnection. I, I hate that this is the case, but it is. I read a post written by a friend of mine a while back. It broke my heart as he said why I've left the church. He began to pour out all the hurts that happened. I wish I could take it away. I, I wish I could go back to that moment and step in and say, don't say anything. But I can't. And somehow this is the vehicle that Jesus chose to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. A church that's perfectly imperfect. Charles Spurgeon was credited with saying, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have not spoiled it. For it would not have been perfect church after I became a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. And I look at the church, this beautiful mosaic of diversity of people, of different backgrounds, of different nationalities, of different experiences, and I say, thank you, God, for the church. I want you to know that I've had hurt and disappointment, but I'm still thankful for the church because it was at the church that I learned how to offer forgiveness. I've had words said to me that cut deep, but it was at the church that I learned how to come alongside a brother and say, listen, I've said things to you and you've said things to me, but we're brothers and I love you so much and so forgive me for what I've said to you. Yes, I've had rejection. Yes, I've been mistreated. Yes, I've had words spoken to my face and behind my back. But there's no group of people that I would rather be connected to. There, there's no one that I would rather do life together with than the church. There's no mission I would rather champion than the church. There's no place I would rather invest my time, my talent, and my treasure in than the church. I'm thankful for the church. Now, I want to be very clear. I, I am not dismissing the wounds. I'm not diminishing the actions. I'm not taking what happened and sweeping it under the carpet. I'm not sitting up here today and say, you've been hurt, get over it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that no, no, there are people who have said things that they shouldn't have said. There are leaders that have acted in ways that they shouldn't have acted. It's become a new thing that I say to people who transfer to this church. I, I sit down with them, and, and as we have a conversation, I look at them and I say, I want you to know something. I'm going to hurt you at some point. How is that for a welcome conversation? I, I said, the I'm human. 
I'm prone to make mistakes. I'm prone to say something. And I said, and you're prone to hurt me. But let's just make a decision right now that if I hurt you or if you hurt me, we're going to do the biblical thing and we're going to come together and we're going to have restitution and reconciliation. Because what I'm saying is for every wrong, there's forgiveness. For every evil word spoken, there's grace. And for every wound inflicted, there's healing. And it all can happen at the church. Yes, it's perfectly imperfect, but it's the hope of the world. Yes, it's perfectly imperfect, but it's God's masterpiece. Yes, it's perfectly imperfect, but it's so valuable that Christ shed his precious blood for it. Good things happen when we gather together at the church. Let me restate that. God things happen when we gather together at the church. And so when we come, he said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And so when we gather together, people of like precious faith, there is no telling what God will do. There's no telling what God can do. I'm thankful for the church. Jesus told an important parable of a man that had two sons. The younger son gets to a place where he feels it's better to leave his father's house. Now, 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 most of the times when we tell this story, the impetus of the story is focused on the action of the younger son. He left the father's house. He, he, he basically said to his dad, you're going to die at some point. Might as well give me what you owe me now. I, that's brazen. That's brash. We look at the, the sad reality that then he took what his father had worked so hard and he just carelessly squandered it in a moment. What took his father a lifetime to build, he just said, listen, I'm going to keep swiping, swiping, swiping. We look at the fact that he ends up in a pig pen. But, but if we rewind the series of events, I, I think there's an important question that we are left to wrestle with. Why did the son feel it necessary to leave the father's house? What would make him want to be disconnected from his family? What would make him want to make such an outrageous request to his father? What would cause him to leave the comfort and the safety of his father's house? Could it possibly have been a disagreement with his brother? Was it, was it maybe... He just couldn't live under the rules of his father's house. What could have caused him to leave with the intent of never coming back? I, I don't know if I know the answer to it. Jesus doesn't give us, and as we read through the lines, we can, we can put ourselves into that situation and say, I, I can understand that because I've experienced this. Sadly, Life happens and the son finds himself in a pig pen all by himself. And in that moment, nobody's there. His family's not there. His brother's not there. His father's not there. His newly made friends that partied with him are nowhere to be found. His inheritance that he squandered is gone. And there he is, lonely, detached, disconnected, living beneath his potential, removed from his purpose. And in a moment of clarity, as he's reaching down maybe to, to get one of the pods and he's looking at it and thinking, this is what my life has been reduced to. I guess I might as well eat what the pigs are eating. Something hits him and he said, 
I had it better in my father's house. Because here's the thing. Connection creates and disconnection destroys. Connection creates and disconnection destroys. In talking about the church, Paul uses this brilliant illustration of the human body. And in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying there, there are many members, but there's one body. He's saying the body's not fractured. There, there's not a multiplicity of bodies, but there are a multiplicity of members. And each member makes up a part of that body. So our connection within the church is incredibly important. Think about it from, from your body standpoint. A fractured part, a dislocated part, an, an amputated part, any division to the whole not only affects the part, but it impacts the whole. And so is the body of Christ. You can cut off a finger, and if you, with enough time, you can maybe put it back together, but the longer the finger is away from the body, not only is there going to be phantom pains in the body, but the finger begins to die. Because connection creates, disconnection destroys. Jesus spoke about connection in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so, I know it might seem obvious, but it's imperative that we're connected to Jesus. He, therefore, is the head of the church. And so we must be connected to Christ. How do we connect to the Christ? It's, it's daily walking with him. It's relationship. Co connection to Christ is not just by saying, I'm connected to Christ. Connection to Christ comes from daily walking with him, with, with, with daily getting up and saying, I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to get alone with him, and I'm going to spend time in his presence. Paul said we've been baptized into one spirit. He said it's the spirit of God, the outward expression of the inward experience, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said that's what connects us to the body. And so it's imperative we realize that when we're connecting to Christ, we need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because it's the gift of the Holy Ghost, that spirit that unites us together. It's the thing that ties us together. It's the thing that allows us to walk with God. Jesus said our connection to him would come with production. He said in connection you would bear much fruit. Because connection creates and I'm going to talk about this more on Wednesday, so come back on Wednesday. And many people are content only with this connection. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I don't need religion. I don't need organized religion. I have relationship. Mm. I have relationship with God. I don't need the church. I have church at home. I don't need to go to a place, a building, 
because I can do what you do in my home. You're just a bunch of hypocrites anyways. Why would I want to be with a bunch of hypocrites? I'll go do church by myself. I don't need to attend a church. It's interesting. When you look at the creation story, God speaks and a multiplicity of things happen. He speaks and light appears. He separates light from darkness. Firmament is created. Dry grounds and plants come forth. The sun, the moon, and the stars are set in motion. Animals of all living kinds flying in the water on dry ground. They, they appear. He speaks and, and they, boom, come into creation. He, he, he forms man out of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living soul. And after each day, notice what God says. It's good. The law of first mention, he defines what something good looks like. Something that creates. Something that, that it is healthy. He says, it's good. It's good. It's good. And he gets to the last day and he says, it's very good. I told my parents that, that, that they had three children. And the last one, when he come out, looked a little bit like me. They said, it's very good. <laughs> Therefore, we don't need to have any more children. But shortly thereafter, shortly thereafter, for the first time, God declares something not good. He says, it's not good that man should be alone. Understand that loneliness is the first thing that God named not good. But God... Adam can have connection to you. He doesn't need anybody else. He, he has you. He can talk with you in the garden. He can, he can walk with you, God. He can have, you can be his bestie. And God said, that's, that's good, but that's not enough. It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him someone like him, comparable to him. So, so Air Bud Golden Retriever, you might say he's your best friend, but God said, no, that's not good. The tabby cat that you say is my best friend, he, he said, no, no, you can have pets. You can enjoy the cat. You can enjoy the pet llama or the, the pet pig or the fainting goat or the screaming goat, whatever you want to get. Get them all. Get the screaming and the fainting and see what happens when one screams and the other faints. He said, but those, those will not do. It doesn't diminish the need for daily connection with God, but it highlights the importance of connection to others. God was saying man needs something like him, something in flesh and blood, something that can relate to him, something that can feel what he feels, something that can be there to offer a hand of support, someone that can bear his burdens, Someone that can be there to rejoice when he rejoices. Someone that can be there to mourn when he mourns. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. According to the National Institute of Health, they've deemed loneliness a painful, universal phenomenon. One researcher said loneliness is now a major public health issue and represents greater health risks than obesity and is more destructive to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Another study published looked at 70 studies on loneliness that covered over 3 million people 
And they came to three conclusions. That social isolation increases mortality by more than 29%. That loneliness increases mortality by 26%. And that living alone increases mortality by 32%. And long before that, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Research shows that when we feel isolated or disconnected or lonely, that we go into this state of self-protection where we become more defensive. We put up walls. Yeah, I know I haven't been coming to church, but I'm not going to answer your phone calls. And when you say something, I'm going to be defensive. People that are lonely tend to be less empathetic. They tend to divert to more numbing things like watching TV or just aimlessly scrolling on their phone. And there are people that have a hard time sleeping. They say this is a byproduct of loneliness. And if COVID showed us anything, it's that we need each other. I, I, I'm sorry, but, but a video screen is a, is a, is a sad, I, I can talk to you on FaceTime, but I want to have FaceTime when you're right next to me. I can send an email to you, and, and you can send an email back to me, but I'd like to sit down with a cup of coffee in my hand and, and do life together because connection creates, disconnection destroys. So man needs to be connected to one another. So sadly, social media and technology have distorted what true connection looks like. We, we've replaced real connection with the illusion of connection. We, we've replaced true love for likes. We've replaced acceptance with affirmation on social media. I remember uh, a year or so ago, Angie and I went on a date to Olive Garden, and we were sitting at a table, and you know how you do, you just look around when you sit down, and, and as we looked around, there was a couple sitting directly next to us, an older man and older woman, and the entire meal, they both had their phones propped up and were live streaming something. Not once did they say a word to each other. The food came, they barely looked at each other, and they kept eating their food. And I said, look at that. Together, but disconnected. In the same room, but not even aware of the other person. Media and technology have become imposters for connection. And so you need to understand that just coming to church is not the same as creating connection within the church. I can come to church and then disconnect myself from the body Monday through Saturday and then come back, but that's not the type of connection that Jesus was talking about. That was not the type of connection that the church was meant to employ. You see, true connection comes when, when we're heard and when we're seen. We can't confuse being communicative with connection. I've, I've observed this phenomenon taking place now more than ever before where many people talk but few communicate. What does that look like? That looks like we talk at each other, we don't talk to each other. There's a difference. When I talk to you, I listen to what you say. I validate what you said, and I respond to it. When I'm talking at you, I, I, the moment you pause, I'm already taking a breath because I haven't heard a thing you said. 
And we have more people that sit down together and they don't agree, but they're saying the exact same thing because they're not listening to each other. And true connection comes when we can sit there with a brother or with a sister and we can say, I see you. I see the hurt that's taking place in your life. I I hear what you're saying. I I don't have to compare my need and my ailment with your ailment. No, I hear what you're saying. We'll talk more about this next week. True connection comes when we're vulnerable, open. You see, true connection is a risk, brother, Brother Ed. When I open myself up to true connection, there's a possibility that you can hurt me. And when you open up yourself to connection, there's a possibility that I can hurt you. But it's worth it. And so true connection looks like we're taking off our armor and we're sitting down one with another and we're opening up to each other. It's, it's true, true connection is being authentic. Authenticity that's severely lacking in relationships today where I'm not fake, I'm not putting on a facade, I'm not trying to give you the perception of what I want you to think I am, but I'm letting you see who I really am. There's some people that only let you come arm's length, and the moment you get too close, they withdraw because I don't want to show you who I really am. Because if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't like me. But that's not connection. And the Lord said, I I want my body to be connected. It's like a body, many members, there's cells, there's there's ligaments, there's tendons. And for it to work and function, it has to be fused together. Which means there needs to be true connection. Why don't you help me out? Could you you get, uh, get your guitar? I, uh... I noticed this morning as I was leaving my house that I live off of, um, oh no, man, what's his name? Who's the famous guitar player in Waukesha? Les Paul Parkway. Les Paul was a, a famous guitar player. Give us, give us a little something. I, I've always wanted to play the guitar. I told Angie, you know, the guitar is such a romantic instrument. I play the drums. And there's nothing romantic about sitting down with your wife with a snare and just doing some I've done it at the dinner table and, and she usually says stop. <laughs> I'm just trying to show you an Ellie love and I'm just showing you what a paradiddle is and you know how to one, two, three, you know, different 16 notes and they're like, no. But you see this, this is, this is you just kind of, right? Isn't that nice? And I like to think that we're all like a string. When we're born, we're born with purpose, and we've talked about this the last couple weeks, made for more. God's created us with purpose, with intention. We're not made on accident. But the, the importance and the ability for us to connect to purpose is our ability to connect to something. And so with the guitar, this is called the headstock. And so the first thing that's important in our life is that we're connected to the head. And you see, it's the head that allows us to tune in to the right frequency. Have you ever heard an out-of-tune guitar? Doesn't sound great. And so, so when we're connected to the head and we get close to God in relationship with God, we all of a sudden get tuned into the frequency of heaven. And that, that means we might not be talking the way we used to talk. We may not be living the way we used to live because as we're connected to the head, something changes within us. But it's not enough for us to just be connected to the head. For this is called the body. And so 
Our string needs to be connected to the head, but then it needs to stretch out and be connected to the body. And I've understood something that, that when I look like this, there's tension. Not enough tension, and we can't make the harmony that needs to be. Too much tension, and a string can break. And so here's what the church a lot of times looks like. We're, we're all distinct. We're all unique members. But when we connect to the head and when we're connected to the body, God says, I can do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. I can make a difference in the community of New Berlin. I, I can play a song and a harmony with your unity. That, that's what unity is. When we're all connected to the head, we're going to all be unified in the body. But when we're not connected to the head, we're going to be out of unity with the body. And so connection, brothers and sisters, becomes so important because when connection happens, this beautiful symphony is created. Paul said, let there be no schisms among you, but, but rejoice when you rejoice and, and, and mourn with the others when they mourn. And that's what happens when we're in harmony one with another. This is the sound I want New Berlin to hear. I want, when the world is divided, I want them to look at a church, 21401, and say, I, I hear something coming out of that church. I hear a sound. It's a sound of joy. I, I see something within the body. There's peace and there's unity. And, and I'm fractured and I'm fragmented and, and I'm divisive in my life, but there's something unified and connected with them. So this is what God wants us to be. Give Jay a hand. Why, why don't you all stand with me today? It says he finally, he finally came to himself. And he says something revealing. He says, how many in my father's house are hired servants? They're not sons, but at least they have bread enough to eat. I'm going to rise, I'm going to go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, he one day woke up in the pig pen, and he said, you know what? I'm tired of trying to fit in. I know where I belong. There's a difference between fitting in and belonging. There's a lot of people today that are trying to find their place. Where do I fit? And the Lord is saying, you belong right here. It's in the presence of God that there's healing. Paul would say, in talking about the body, he, he said in Ephesians 4 and 16, he said he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As, as each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He, he said when you realize that you belong in the body of Christ, that, that connection in the body helps in the growth of you as an individual. But you don't understand, Pastor, I, I feel like I haven't grown this year. 
My question to you is, are you connected? Yeah, yeah you, maybe you've been going through the motions, but have you really, truly connected to Christ? Have you truly connected to the body? I don't want Living Word to be a place that people just visit. I want this to be a place of belonging. I want people to come into this place and say, I belong here. I may not look like you, and you may not look like me. I may not talk like you. I may have a life past littered with failures and mistakes, and I want you to know that no matter what your past looks like, you belong here. It's in this place that we have healing. It's in this place that we have growth. It's in this place that we have connection. But it comes when we're willing to let down our guard and be connected to the body. I want to open this altar today. Maybe you feel disconnected. Maybe you have separated yourself from the body. Maybe you feel disjointed in your relationship with God. Would you come down to this altar today as a sign that I want to be connected to you, God? I want to be connected to your body. Maybe in your past there's hurt that's happened in the house of God. I believe it's in the house of God that we can find healing. It said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of his peace was upon us, and by his stripes we're healed. Every emotional wound that was caused in the house can be healed today. Lord Jesus, I pray right now. Lord, every person under the sound of my voice, God, help us not to disconnect. Help us not to distance ourselves. Help us not to be just casual connectors. But Lord, let us fully connect to the body. Lord, in connecting to you, God, in connecting to one another, Lord, that's the way you intended it to be. That's the way you desire it, Lord. So I pray today, Lord, every person under my voice, maybe their life has been filled with hurt. Maybe they're afraid to open up, God, because they've done in the past. And Lord, as a result, God, they've been wounded. So they've made decisions to build walls. God, I pray let those walls fall down today. Let us get to a place of authenticity. Let us get to a place of vulnerability. Let us get to a place where I, we can connect to each other. Would you help us today, Jesus? Strengthen this body. Lord, bind us together with cords of love. Make us more like you, Jesus. Make us more like you today, Jesus. We praise you today, God. We worship you today, Jesus. So, so good.